listening to the Arsenal Therapy Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Arsenal Therapy Podcast. My name is Farhan, also known as Gunner since 96. And as always, joining me here this evening is Adam Keyes. Adam, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, so first question. Was Arteta right to take Vieira off at halftime? No. Does this result highlight the importance of rotation? Yes. And what did Arsenal lack in more? Composure or quality? Composure. Adam, after games like this, when we put everything into context, um, there's a silver lining where, number one, Chelsea lose and fight a a relegation battle, which is quite nice. Um, And the other silver lining is that we're still yet to lose a game. Um, But this this does very much feel like a bit of a defeat. How are you feeling after, you know, five-ish hours of um, trying to process what we witnessed? Yeah, still pretty annoyed at the performance. I think the performance more than the result because that was a game that we were in control of for 35 minutes. We could have put to bed in the first half hour and we didn't take our chances. And when you look at the nature of the goals we conceded, that's why I'm so frustrated at this. And the quality was there. Once it went 2-2, we lost our heads. And so, yeah, I'm frustrated at that. And I think... It's one of those we need to get the next game as quickly as possible and it's one of those you wish you had a Premier League game midweek and not a Carabao Cup game. So I can imagine you're feeling pretty similar right now. Yeah, I'm feeling really, really frustrated. Um, Most listeners won't have seen the side of me where um, I lose my shit. (laughs) And there's there's been a few pods where I've gone, you know, rage mode um the last time i remember feeling like this was when we got knocked out of the champions league and it was against was it against was that against ps it wasn't against ps who was it against sporting and i remember feeling really really upset um and because i knew what was coming at the end of that it wasn't the fact that we had just been knocked out of the europa league it was the manner in which that we lost it in and it was not learning from that defeat as well. Um, bit of an arrogance, really. Today's a little bit different. Today's defeat is down to um, a little bit of naivety. And I guess we've regressed a little bit in, in terms of not having composure, not taking our chances, and just just real schoolboy error errors and moments of just madness um i we had high hopes for this arsenal side going into this game in fact almost everybody was predicting an arsenal win in you know some quite spectacular fashion as well we we, i I was hearing predictions of um arsenal scoring five goals arsenal winning by three goals and what was what was more frustrating for me wasn't that again as you said it wasn't the result it wasn't the draw it was the manner in which that we left the stadium. We we really fucked up today, didn't we? It was a result that, that does not epitomise what Arsenal have done up until this point. It, it shows me that there is still that uncertainty about Arsenal. And I thought we had, we had turned that corner. I thought that I could trust 
these boys to go out there and to get the job done no matter how they needed to. And sometimes you do face an opposition who give, give the game to you. Sometimes deservedly they take the point home or they beat you. That's football. That's, you know, you, 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 there's, there's uh, 11 versus 11. Sometimes the other 11 wants it a little bit more. Today, we gifted our fiercest rivals. We gifted them that point. Not only did we gift them the point, we also gifted them a really good positive performance that they can take going into the future now. And that I can't, I just, I just can't accept. I can't accept that. Um, I think, I think you're going to have to give me the therapy today. I know we're so used yeah, to like I you think, know, me trying to make sense of it. I, I can't make sense of it. Look, I think it is one of those, we should have put that game to bed. I have seen online people saying Spurs dominated Arsenal. They had 53% of the possession today. And they also played less than half of the passes we did in the final third. So, look, all in all, Spurs had a few chances. We had much more and much better chances today. We should have put the game to bed. It was two very good finishes from Son and two very good passes from James Madison and two instances where our whole team switched off. So that's what cost us the game today. And I think the frustrating thing is having got ourselves 2-1 up and then also pressed them to win the ball back, we give it away. Completely inexplicable from Jorginho because he's got three options and two Spurs players 10 yards away from him and he manages to lose the ball in the most dangerous position that he could have. So, look, I think it's one of those, it wasn't a good performance, but I I think the big thing for me is we kind of lost the fundamentals of our game today and that was concerning. It's also the injury to Rice, massive concern. And and it now means we've got Rice, Trossard, Martinelli, Saka, Timber, and Thomas Party all injured. So that's a huge blow going forward. And hopefully Trossard and Martinelli are back quick. Hopefully Declan Rice isn't out long. Arteta said it was discomfort in his back. So let's see what that actually means over the next week or so. But all in all, I think it's one of those, the we had enough quality on the pitch, but the changes at halftime the loss of rice really really hurt us and it was one of those games that it's frustrating but i'm not going to go into a complete meltdown about it that's kind of why i've stayed away from twitter this afternoon because it's i think it's it's it is worrying because of the number of injuries it's worrying because of us failing to take our chances and kill the game which has happened every week now but at the same time we are only six games into the season. We're still unbeaten. And I think we have to look at kind of what went wrong and why it went wrong rather than just kind of going into complete meltdown and tailspin over this. Mm. Well, um, I wish I could take that stance. I wish I could be a little bit more patient and maybe understanding um but i can't and i tell you why i can't adam because if we don't win the premier league this season um we're gonna have to have a really serious conversation about what happens going forward because if you know we we often talk about the liverpool side who only won one champions league and one premier league and they will be remembered for not winning more and if arsenal don't win a major trophy with this group of players it's gonna be more than disappointing it's you know, it's going to be, I, I would put it up there as um, with with the, the Champions League loss of 2006. Um, I think though, it's been far too long since we won the Premier League. 
Yeah, I, I hear you. And I want Arsenal to win trophies as much as any other fan. But we are competing against a Man City team that has just won the treble and then followed it up by spending more money than us. We've just had our biggest spending window in history and City have still spent more than us and already have a better squad. So, as I say, we're six games in, uh, four wins, two draws. And it's a case of if we weren't competing against Man City, this result wouldn't seem anywhere near as bad as it, it does. It's just because we're competing against this ultimate winning machine. So I think right. it's it's one of those exactly. we can say we we need to have a conversation about Arsenal. But at the same time, this side needs to gel. It's still a very young side that we saw at the end of last season, mm. the naivety in the team. But to say if City go out and again steamroll the league, no one is coming close to them. Liverpool finished with 98 points and still lost the league or 99. Like. That's insane, and that's just because there is a side that are so, so good. And sometimes we have to look not just at ourselves, but those around us. And I think the old cliche in football was you worry about yourself. But actually, because Man City are so good and have won five out of the six last six league titles, it's so difficult not to like continuously look at City and look at what they're doing. So I think... Drawing to Spurs is a huge disappointment. I think the performance was really disappointing. There's a lot of things that we need to look at going forward. But at the same time, I think that there's also positives that we can take and real kind of clinical, harsh stances that we can take as well that we can really examine over the next week and think, right, that wasn't acceptable. How did that happen? How can we improve that and how can we get that improved very, very quickly rather than kind of looking at the end of the season and potentially not winning a trophy? Because we're not even at the end of September yet. It's like there's a long, long way to go. But the difference is you and I and everyone else listening to this and most Arsenal fans know we're capable of pushing City to the very like last game. Now we know this because last season was a, the case study that proved it. This season is also at the beginning showed me that it, was, it wasn't a one trip, uh, you know, a, a one season wonder. It wasn't just something that happened. It wasn't a blip. This team, this group of players, they're capable of... That's what makes me more upset than anything else, is knowing that we're good enough, is knowing that we can beat anyone on our day. And today, guess what? It was one of those days where we were good enough. And yet we... And in, I remember, you know, we were having a chat at the end of uh, the, the, the the pod last... Uh, the last the last pod that we recorded, um, Everton. And, you know, we both agreed. Anything but a win was going to be a disastrous result. And it's simply down to because we are competing with C. Had it been any other side, you know, had it been uh, before the takeover, before City's takeover and we were in a normal title challenge, we would be looking at this result and we would be looking at that run of games where we've got Bournemouth and City coming up and we'll be looking at this and thinking, you know what, we take a point. We take a point because it's a North London derby. We take a point because this is a rejuvenated Spurs. But we can't in the context of we live in a different world. Arsenal are the only side right now in the Premier League who gives City a run for their money. We cannot let results like this. We can't paper over the cracks, basically. And I think this, I think we have to be, and you know, in most situations, in fact, in, in almost all cases, I'm always pro, you know, dust ourselves off and go again or 
I'm a, I'm a massive optimist and I want to try and, um, look at as many, look at as many encouraging, you know, st- you know, statistics or, or points in the game to, 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 to fill me up with, with more promise and more hope. Um, with a game like this, I think it's acceptable for us to be hypercritical. And I think it's an opportunity for the boys to really look at themselves and be critical of themselves. And I think someone needs to bollock them, really, because this could be a making or breaking moment. Um, and I know we've, we're only six games in, and I know it's, it's the very early stages, but it's the very early stages of a season which make sides, which build momentum, which allow you to go um, and build, you know, uh, a bit of a foundation so that you can call yourself title challenging sides. Um, so anyway, that's part one of my rant over. <laughs> Let's move over to the starting lineup and have a chat about who Arteta decided to play. There weren't many surprises. The only one that um, caught me off guard was Trossard not being in the team at all. Um, and we know that's down to an unfortunate injury. Um, any surprises for you in terms of the starting lineup? I. I- not really. I, I wasn't massively enamored by it with Jesus playing wide. Um, I, I know he can play there, but with him and Nkerio on the pitch, I would rather have gone with Jesus up front and maybe a Reese Nelson wide or Smith Rowe or something like that. But that was always going to be a long shot. And ultimately, he went with it. And to be honest, I didn't love it. I didn't hate it either. It was one of those when I saw it come out, I thought this team should have enough to win. So that's basically it. I, I thought there was enough there that Arsenal could have won this game with the lineup presented. Yeah, yeah. I, I think even on the bench, we didn't have as much as we would have liked. Um, you know, obviously with Emil Smith Rowe there, who, let's be honest, isn't going to start a game anytime soon until he gets more minutes under his belt. Um, Tommy Asu was on the bench. We had a quick chat whether, you know, in the preview, uh, on the preview show, whether he would start over Zinchenko. Again, it was unlikely. Um, Jorginho, and I guess the only other surprise was, was Kai Havertz not starting. Vieira kept his place. Um, from, did he start against Everton? He did, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Vieira kept his place and, yeah, Nelson was on there as well. Elneny came back on the bench, but, um, yeah just he's, he's obviously not fit at all so yes as as, as, uh, as far as starting lineups go um fairly satisfied not really you know surprised with anything on our side on their side they decided to go for a pretty uh strong starting lineup as well um moving on to the beginning of the first half the only the early minutes the early exchanges um i felt like the game started off with a really good tempo arsenal putting pressure on them and it's it's a regular theme doesn't matter who we play we're very we're very front-footed I did get a little bit concerned with uh how open we had sort of left ourselves uh with Spurs um with the first opportunity mirrored the start of the PSV game a little bit with um you know uh, Johnson who had a shot which got deflected then Son puts the ball in the back of the net but came from an offside position so um Spurs were definitely asking questions but the game eased itself a little bit didn't it as that sort of that moment passed yeah there, there was a nice tempo from both sides in the opening ten. it was fairly even one of those you get this a lot in these games where both sides want to kind of try and put their stamp on the game and ultimately it was us that came out after that and we were the team that 
from probably seven, eight minutes on, really started to dominate the game and really take took control of it. But it was one of those we we had multiple chances before we actually scored, and I guess it's one of those games again where it comes down to taking your chances early, and we could have been two or three nil up very early on. But we weren't, and it's another game where those early chances haven't been taken, and it's those opportunities that can really punish teams and kill games off. We saw City yesterday; they were two 0 up at half time. Rodri gets sent off. They go straight back into a low block, see out the game, and they do that because they're two 0 up. So as the game went on, more and more Forest got more and more kind of desperate and scared, but. Again, it's because City took those chances early on. Had we have done it, we could have very easily killed this game. And there was one point where Spurs were looking like their heads were starting to drop. They were really struggling to get the ball off us. And then all of a sudden it takes like one little moment and bang, the game's completely changed again. So, so yeah, it was one of those early on, very, very good, very impressive from Arsenal. Jesus was in the thick of things. Um, we had Saka really going at the fullback. And all in all, I thought Arsenal were really starting to tick in those early exchanges and really getting going. And I thought Spurs are here for the taking. And it was one of those, I expected us to score far earlier on than we actually did. And it was where, when Adonji got booked as well, I thought, like, Saka, just keep running yeah. at him, run at him. He's going to get sent off. He's terrified of you. But we didn't do it. We didn't capitalize on that after we scored. And look, it's incredibly frustrating that we're sitting here now after the great start we saw today having not taken those chances yeah I mean credit to Spurs because they were as as woeful as they were in their half they were persistent in playing their style or you know joining us in reality in the 21st century by trying to play it out from the back passing it out from the back but Arsenal done really well to put the pressure on them and their back line um and it was it, it seemed like it was only a matter of time before we caught them out and that was very very early on that was I'm talking you know in the eighth ninth minute um there, there was a bit of a, a scrappy sort of nature of the game though because there were quite a few fouls happening um you know a, bit, a few cynical fouls I think uh, Spurs players having a bite at Jesus and Saka just trying to take um, the sting out of the game a little bit and one player in particular who I thought was quite um, he wasn't at the races and he didn't he didn't I think he was quite slow to get into the game and that was Zinchenko um, you might disagree with me maybe some of you listening to this would, would disagree but I, I, I noticed that he gave the ball away on a few occasions he allowed Kulisevsky a bit too easily to get the better of him I just felt like he just needed to be a little bit sharper and just take a few less touch it, touches him Jorginho um, and there was somebody else might have been Kai Havertz or maybe someone else um, just too many touches were being taken and in a game of this kind of magnitude it just needs to flow a lot better and especially when I know how much we're capable of in possession how how Arteta's kind of drilled us and how well regimented we are um, we don't need to be taking several touches we don't need to slow down the tempo of the game um, but yeah ultimately as you said 
it was Adogi who got the yellow card after taking out Saka. And just before that, actually, I should mention that it was a fantastic chance where Saka p- put the ball in the back on the back post for Jesus, uh, forces a good save from the keeper. Um, but early signs showed that Arsenal were going to be the imposing side and that we were, um, yeah, we were just going to pounce on them and, and, and wait for them to make a fatal error, um, which, you know, Jesus didn't kind of take advantage of later on in the game. Um, but do you think I'll make a fair assessment on Zinchenko in the first sort of Definitely not. The, um, I thought Zinchenko was one of our only good players today. Um, and interestingly, <laughs> just looking at his numbers, yeah. because you said about him um, losing the ball too easily, he uh, completed 92% of his passes, 47 of 51. And... I, I thought I was going mad when you said that. He um he didn't he, he lost possession five times in the whole game. And um in terms of duels, he won six of six ground duels and one of one aerial duel. So he had a really solid game today. There was one point whenever um Pedro Porro flashed across across the face of goal and Ben White ended up clearing it. It went straight past Raya. And if a Spurs player was in the six, they probably would have scored from that. I felt Sinchenko was jogging back a bit too easily. And it was Jesus trying to cover. But aside from that, I thought he was really, really good today. He was one of the players that was actually Mm. moving the ball. He was intelligent. There was a lot of times where I thought, we need to uh, reduce the intensity of this. We need to slow it down. And if we don't slow it down, we are going to be in trouble because we're playing at a tempo without the control of the ball. It's great playing at a high tempo whenever you've got the ball, whenever you've got that control, when everyone's clicking and everyone's interchanging and that kind of fluidity and cohesion there amongst the squad. But it wasn't there today. And that was an issue that we needed someone that could take the sting out of it a bit. And I felt Zinchenko was one of the few that was actually doing that when it was required. But at the same time, was looking for those like kind of line breaking passes, the verticals that we know that he's got, and ultimately, I thought Zinchenko was very, very good today. So aside from one or two moments, but everyone had one or two moments. Mm. Maybe it was just what I noticed early on in the game. I mean, he definitely grew into the game, but I, I don't know why. I mean, uh, it, it, maybe it's a, it's a, it's, it's an. It's an eye test over statistics kind of comparison. Um, you know, there's no doubt that he uh, was very involved in the build-up and he was, you know, had uh, possession of the ball, had many touches of the ball. Um, but I want, I want the game to be played at a rhythm, at a flow that suits us. And the rhythm that I'm used to seeing us is picking up the ball, moving it forward between the lines, trying to get it down the flanks as quickly as possible. That's one of the reasons why Bakayo Saka saw so much and he was able to create so much. There was so much threat because he had the assistance of Ben White. Um, and I know we can't replicate that that style of football on the other side of the pitch. But had Jesus had another sort of supporting act next to him, you know, I reckon, and maybe that's the next phase of what we need to do. Maybe we just need to find a bit more support down that flank to be able to open it, open all of it out. You know, that total football, but in the attacking half. Um, I think about though, Eddie that, and that, that's Arteta's yeah, style. It's one of those, 
that left back position is always being asked to invert. We had one of the best overlapping fullbacks in Kieran Tierney. Arteta completely changed his game last season and he looked he looked like a bang average fullback because he was being asked to invert. Even when Tommy Asu comes on, he's playing very, very central. I, I don't think that's an evolution thing. I think that's something that Arteta wants that left-sided fullback inverting. So the left eight is the one who does more of the overlapping work off the ball, whereas that right eight tends to cut in a bit. And we're seeing Odegaard not overlapping as much. And again, I think that's tactical because last year he was offering Saka a lot more support. But for me, it's very much a tactical thing. And it's all about that left player um, inverting as they do. I do think there is scope to maybe be a little bit flexible when it comes to making tactical decisions and more sort of strategic decisions when we're playing certain teams. Whereas, uh, for example, I felt today was a an excellent um, opportunity to to deploy uh, an overlapping winger on Jesus' side and Saka's side because they're both as effective as each other. They're both really good on the ball. They're really good at taking on their man. Um, and I felt a little bit sorry for Jesus because you could see how badly he wanted to, um, you know, attack and how badly he wanted to see as much of the ball as possible and do something with it. It's unfortunate that he couldn't get his goal. You know, he had that glorious opportunity that we're going to talk about um, as well as the one that Saka teed him up for. Um, but it, it, he ended up playing out on the right, on the left-hand side um, and Nketiah took the nine role and he played the the, the entirety of the game um i know a lot of people aren't, weren't really happy to see that um I, I give a quick assessment on 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 Inketia. there was a, a a great chance where udogi sort of tries to pass the ball back to the keeper doesn't notice that Inketia standing behind him rather than and then Inketia rather than trying to play it across the face of goal he goes for goal from a really tight angle and it it just looks impossible for him to squeeze in a goal. It's possible if he had hit it hard and maybe at the roof, um, it goes in. But yeah, that, that opportunity, I don't know if you know which one I'm talking, referring to, but that one just really frustrated me. And I think overall, I mean, we were having a quick chat, weren't we? Um, at halftime, I think it was. And I was making the point that I was really impressed with Nketiah and the work rate that he was putting in. He was one of the few people who were just non-stop pressing and putting that back line under pressure. But there's just no final ed- uh, sorry, no final end product. And that's been the issue with uh, Nketiah. And that was just such a good opportunity. Had he squared it to... Because I don't know, I wasn't, I, mean, I wasn't at the games. I, I, I don't think there is someone to square it to. I'm trying to find a video of it, but I don't think there was someone to square it to. It was Vieira who comes into the frame after he takes the shot. So I was I, I couldn't see um, whether you know, how far he was or whether it was a there was a possibility. But he comes into the frame when he takes the shot, and you know at that point I'm thinking, could he have passed it? Could he have t- squared it? Because he's in a great position to have a shot, yes. But he's 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 in an even better position to maybe hold the ball for a second extra and then find that pass. No, I, I think he made the right decision shooting. I think it was just a, sh- a really bad shot. And we, we had very different assessments of Nketiah at halftime. So uh, I think I have to point that out in the same way as when you go in on Havertz. I think with uh, Nketiah, I thought he was absolutely dreadful today. 
Um, I thought it was his worst performance in an Arsenal shirt for a long time. Um, everything that frustrates me about Eddie came to the, the, the uh, came up today. It was he when Enkedi is good, he arrives on time. It enables his touch to be secure. It enables him to link up with his teammates. Today he was everything he arrived late for. His touch was like a trampoline, and that, that's all uh, that happens because players don't arrive on time. Nine times out of ten, whenever you've got a bad first touch or you're late to the ball, it's because you set off late. It's not because the defender beats you. As a striker, 90% of the time when a player's aiming for you, you're telling them where the ball goes. It's because you're not setting off on time. The number of uh, kicks Raya had where he was going long and you see Nkeria jogging back or running towards the ball, that doesn't happen with Jesus. It doesn't happen with Havertz. It's, those kinds of things are unacceptable for a number nine playing at Arsenal. And look, I, I do rate Nkeria. I've just always questioned whether he's good enough to be a player that's going to play a lot of minutes at Arsenal. And that's always been my concern with them. And today I felt he was really poor. And that shot in particular, I think it's one of those, he put it at a really nice height for the keeper to save. And it's one of those, if you're going to score from that angle, you smash it hard and low past the keeper or you go high and powerful. You don't do what he did. And like most strikers score that. It, it's one of those, when, when I watched it, my instinct said that he couldn't have passed that ball to someone else. I think there was two defenders in the way. He he read the wrong perfectly. And I think that's the frustrating bit. He sees a dodgy play that pass, and it's him that reads it that enables him to get in behind. And then whenever he gets the ball, he just you have to score that or at least make the keeper really work for it. But he didn't either. We won a corner off it, but he has to do a lot, lot better than that. Well, we don't have to wait very long before we see the goal. And, you know, Saka's building up slowly for that eventual moment. Um, I felt like he looked, you know, uh, at his best. He, he was just unstoppable. Um, Adogi had a really, really tough first half having to deal with him. He obviously picked up a yellow card and I feel like we could have done more to exploit that. Um, but the goal itself came from a Romero own goal, but it was all Saka who drives into the box, cuts in, has a shot, deflects and goes into the back of the net. Lovely goal. Um, and the build-up as well was really nice. It was, you know, very Arsenal-esque, very much what I associate with us and the way that we play, direct, moving the ball quickly across the pitch. Um, yeah, so happy days. We're 1-0 up and Spurs are looking really quite hopeless against our back line because we're able to very quickly close them and then um, move it into the, the, the players like Bukayo Saka. Um, yeah, do you, wanna, do you have anything to say about the goal itself? Yeah, really good play from Saka. It was one of those he had the uh, had the, the their left back on toast at that stage. He's just it's everything you want from Saka. He's driving into the box. He's uh, his touch. It's tight to his feet. Um, the defenders pointing at the space that uh, looking for someone else to take responsibility when he should be doing it, and Saka just completely walks into the space. And it's one of those, it's exactly who you want to see put the ball in the back of his own net in Romero because he is a piece of shit. But it, <laughs> look, it it was one of those, initially it had been given to Saka and it was chalked off and given as an own goal. But we, we really deserved the goal at that point. We were putting them under so much pressure. And at that point of the game, they were 
uh, Brennan Johnson wasn't tracking back, and Saka was basically one on one with uh, Adoji the whole way through that kind of first thirty minutes, and he was terrified. He was on a yellow card for a fairly bad challenge as well, and it was like, like one of those periods of the game where you thought. If Saka keeps running him, we're going to get two or three goals and he's going to be sent off. So at that point, it was just kind of pure ecstasy and it felt like we were going to go on and really kind of score two or three at that point. So what about you? How did you feel about it? I felt great. I felt really, really good. And it, it was a little bit nerve-wracking for me because we were so dominant, we were so good, but we were not. We, we didn't. We didn't have that all-important goal. And so, you know, I'm on the edge of the seat, watching the game, really admiring how well we're doing and how much we're exposing them for the frauds that they are. Because up until the game, all I was hearing was how well Spurs had done, how different they look, and how, um, you know, how how good they've been under Ange. And I, I mean, I can see through the bullshit. I know that it's just been a few games six games they've looked all right you know they've tried to implement a new style but they're playing up against one of the best sides in the world and we 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 were really that good because we were reducing them to playing in their own half they were trying desperately hard hard bless them to play out of the back and to try and um you know create those combinations get get that ball past that first line of defense into midfield and to be fair to them when they did eventually get it into midfield they did cause us a few issues you know because they've got so much quality up front but it was very, very rare. And so, um, you know, the the last 15 minutes of the first half was chaotic. It had so many opportunities for Arsenal to exploit. The big the big one that we're going to have to talk about is um, Jesus nicking the ball off Madison and then just skies it over the bar. And th- that actually, that moment, that chance, that particular scenario... Um, just paints a perfect picture of what the first half was like. Spurs trying desperately hard to stick to their guns, to stick to their strategy, not really being able to execute well enough. Arsenal were just way too um, aware and uh, just clinical, you know, clinical in um, doing the first part really well, which is putting the pressure on winning the ball back in those areas, but they're not really applying the execution. Jesus is a player who we have long... Um, spoken about and admired for everything that he does other than the finishing when are we gonna start or what needs to be done for him to um, you know start scoring those opportunities I'm running out of you know excuses I guess I don't know it's (sighs) I was thinking whenever the game was on imagine you put Alexis Sanchez 2016-17 in our team and had him playing up front. You have a lot of the qualities that Jesus has, but Sanchez could finish. And that is the the thing with Jesus. It's so frustrating because he creates so much havoc. He brings so many people into the game. He elevates everyone around him. But there's moments like that in a game where you look at it and you think, how have you missed that? You have to score it. And it's it's inexcusable really yeah uh, wh- why does he why does he need to lash it he's done everything right he nicks the ball off Madison so intelligently he's one on one Madison is is out of the the picture you know he, you've you've passed him you've taken the ball you've taken the touch 
Maybe he could take another touch. But he doesn't need to lash at it the way he does. He can put it in any corners. He can try and pass it into the goal if he wants to. But he makes the wrong decision. Does Jesus have a uh, a poor maybe temperament? Does he is he is he unable to compose himself in the final minutes? Yeah, possibly. The, the, this has been a, a long-standing issue with Jesus, where he's really struggled to score goals on a regular basis. He's very much a confidence player. He's someone that snatches at chances. And in the way someone like Son, for example, is ice cool the minute they get into those positions. And we saw today just how composed Son is whenever he's got a big opportunity. Jesus excels in the, the more chaotic areas of the pitch. But whenever it requires him to just slow things down and kind of take a breather, show some composure and kind of take that big opportunity, he struggles. And it's frustrating today because he missed a massive chance, but that massive chance came when Jesus was in the center of the pitch. We saw the earlier miss, which was a good save uh, earlier, uh, right at the start of the game. Uh, cross across the box from Saka and uh, you know the one he's at the back post so again it's him in close so when he was in the centre of the pitch today he caused real problems but I don't want to see Gabriel Jesus running up and down the line I want to see him getting at defenders holding the ball up bringing others into the game and really causing problems in the centre of the pitch and we know he drifts wide but I don't mind him drifting wide in the final third I don't want to see him wide on our own uh, our own defensive third because that wastes so much energy and ultimately he came off after what 70 minutes today something like that and um he he was at his most effective when he was in the center of the pitch and instead Kedia was used in that area so I, it, it was one of those games that we're talking about this massive miss which he should have scored he, he's he got time to take another touch because I think if he takes another touch, there's a chance Madison brings him down. And um, because it's such good work, Madison's completely caught out. And I think the, the kind of instinct of most players is to then stick your foot out. So if Jesus takes another touch to set himself, which he does have time to do, there's a chance he's brought down. But he really rushed it and snatched at it. And I also don't understand the reason he kind of went for the top corner there. That's another one. You're running at pace, go hard and low, try and make sure you're getting that on target. Because I think the keeper was would have been really caught off guard too. But yeah, very, very frustrating. But I do think had he have played central instead of in Kadia, we would have seen Jesus get more chances. And this could have been one of those games where we're saying he's come away with a massive goal. He still missed two or three, but he's come away with a massive goal because... Like City 2-0 yesterday, Haaland missed an open net. Haaland misses a lot of chances, mm. but he gets himself in positions time and time again to score them. He finds space in the box, and that's why he's so dangerous, because he's the best mover in world football. Jesus isn't. He's not a player that repeatedly finds space, but he's also a player that is far better in the centre than someone like Eddie Nketiah, who, in truth, caused absolutely no threat to Tottenham today. He scores that goal, it's 2-0. He scores that goal, and Spurs don't have an opportunity to come back into the game. Yeah. But instead, what happens, he misses that game, uh, that uh, that opportunity, and then it's 
you know, it's chaos. Um, Raya is forced into making a fantastic save um, as, you know, Spurs start to grow in their attacking movements. Kulusevsky plays it to Son. He plays a lovely short ball across the penalty box. Johnson doesn't really make a clean uh, contact, but it does look it does look good enough to be going in. And somehow Raya forces his body to shift to his right, gets a hand to it, saves it. Great job, you know, but you can tell, I mean, the the last 10 minutes, the tempo of the game died and Arsenal dropped slightly the tempo and the aggression. Um, again, me and you were speaking at half time, and I think you made the point that Arsenal have a tendency of always doing this in every game, just not going the extra mile when it matters the most, which is the final 10 minutes of a half, especially when you're playing at home, especially when it's a derby, when it's a game of high risk, um, of of a magnitude as as today was, you need to be on it from minute one to forty five, to forty five to ninety plus the added extra time. We don't we can't afford the lux the luxury of dropping the tempo of controlling the game because unfortunately we're just not at that level yet. We're not city. We don't have the um experience the XP points or the um you know, the, the mental capacity. I don't think we're there yet. I think we still need a few more experiences and um, bad moments before we get to a point where we're able to control a game in the dying minutes of a, of, of a game. And that first half, and especially at the end of that first half, proved that, and it maybe it's a lesson for them to learn, that you can't, as well as you've done for the first 35, 40 minutes, 35 minutes, you can't then stop what you're doing and allow the opposition in. You can't you can't af- allow them the confidence or gift them the advantage of right. We're going to sit off. We're just going to charge up again. You guys can throw everything at us. Um, we're good. We're good enough defensively to try and keep you out, but we're going to take the risk. And the goal, the inevitable goal, comes. So, talk to me about the goal, how we conceded it, why we conceded it, and who's to blame for it. I think it's a team goal. Um, we Saka should do better. It's one of those he lets Madison away too easily. But I'm looking at it given the length of time Saka is with Madison, why Ben White's not out faster to kind of protect him there. So th- there's that, and Madison gets in far too easily. Then when he gets to the line, this is the most concerning part. Declan Rice puts his hand in the air, appealing for uh, a goal kick. Um, Madison keeps it in, slides it back, and Rice reacts as it's sliding back. Declan Rice is a player that susses out danger better than anyone else. He should have been the he's the the one player that you would want kind of reacting in that situation. And if he doesn't appeal and he just moves forward one step, that ball's cut out. And that's how easy it is. It was such a simple thing where um, Rice appeals and instead of playing by the whistle, he puts his arm in the air. Ironically, that was one of the things that cost us the league last year was when Thomas Party did it against Declan Rice and tried to get a free kick at West Ham. So yeah, for me, that. Declan Rice is um, hugely to blame for that goal. We've been full of praise for him this season. And... Um, it was just, it was so surprising to see him. But we have heard since that he's he was playing with a lot of discomfort in his back in the first half. Don't know if the injury had something to do with um, 
kind of those circumstances, but ultimately just really, really surprised to see him not react to that because that's where he really comes to the fore and that's where he kind of excels. So, yeah, very, very disappointing goal to concede. And it was coming at a point where they had a, they were starting to get into the game a lot more. Um, obviously, Ray made that great save. And although I think Ramsdale also makes that save. So it was great to see. And I, I felt that after he made that save, it was one of those that it would give us all a lift. It would get the boys switched on again. Instead, it seemed to give Spurs a bit of belief. And we continued to... Uh, give the ball away sloppily and lose possession just doing all the basics wrong and even in the build up to the goal it was given away softly, the cross comes in um, I think Rea does quite well initially, pushes it out, then he makes a good save before it goes out to Madison so it, it's one of those I felt we just as a team didn't react quickly enough, once that ball went out to Madison White we should have been straight back into position, switched on, ready to go, and hit them with a brick wall. We should have been seeing that game out, get in at 1-0 at halftime, regroup, be ready to go in the second half. Instead, you've let a team right back into it before the whistle, and that is always dangerous territory. I'm surprised to hear you say um, that Raya does well in a situation before Madison gets the ball. Because I think he's, I think we need to be a bit more critical with Raya in that particular situation. I think he can do better. I think he's trying too hard to maybe make it look um, more fancy than it needs to, than, than it actually needs to. Am I being too harsh? Am I, am I just um, getting lost of my emotions? I think it's one of those where he could have probably tipped it over the bar. Instead, he tips it out, but I don't think he expects the ball to come where it did. And But, look, he's pushed the ball out, and then he's made a big save straight afterwards. So, in my opinion, he's got a reprieve because he has just made a massive save straight after. We've got the ball out, and then we failed to deal with it. So, if you're looking at the actions of the game, you're going back kind of, two or three moves between the ball hitting the net and Raya tipping it out. So, uh, yes, he could have done better and I would have been more confident had he have just tipped it over the bar. We got a corner, or they got a corner and we headed it away. But I think we dealt with it in the end. It was more from the moment Madison gets the ball, that's when the big concern happens. That sound can only mean one thing. We've arrived at the halfway point of the show where we will now be going into the second part of the show. <laughs> so, Adam, the game was very much a ga- uh, game of two halves. The first half, we were quite brilliant for most of it. Um, Spurs had the last 10 minutes to get a goal back and, yeah, turn a bit cagey. And then we got a few surprises at the... Um, just before kickoff, the early stages of that second half where Kai Havertz and Jorginho come on. Yep. Vieira and Declan Rice come off. Now, I want to dissect this situation. I think I think it's worth having a conversation. I think there's far too many of us who are accepting of what happens. 
Declan Rice gets injured, it's all right. It's okay. These things happen. But we've got Jorginho on the bench who can come on. And it's out of our hand. Arteta can't do anything about this. Now, I'm going to flip the script back and take us um, back a month, maybe two, during the transfer window, deadline day. We're screaming for a signing. I don't think we've spoken about this situation because we haven't had to. Number one, we've done well so far. We haven't had to. And number two, things have been happening too quickly. There's too much that's been going on in order for us to um, dissect and analyse what happened on deadline day. We failed to make a signing of quite significant importance. And that was to, to bring in a central midfielder. And to bring in a central... I mean, at the beginning of the window, we... I, for one, anyway, said that we needed to bring in at least three midfielders. With Shaka leaving, we needed to replace him. We needed to bring in an improvement on Saka as well, which we did. And we needed someone else who could be an understudy. Because we know that Thomas Part is a liability. He gets injured. Um, Vieira's a little bit more advanced. And there's no one other than Sambi, Jorginho and Elneny who can play in those uh, specific positions. Now, the question was whether Jorginho would be good enough. And that question was very quickly answered. Now, I don't blame the moment that Jorginho had on him because he didn't have enough game time in order for him to be sharp and ready and confident to play that sort of game. What I blame this on is a lack of addressing the importance of bringing in a central midfielder. Had we bought in someone, and this is all ifs, buts, and maybes, I get it, understand. But in order for me to make sense of things, I need to look at the window and um, the failure to bring in bring someone in. Because we didn't need to bring in Georgie. If, the, if we prepared better, we could have bought in someone who was capable to come in for rice. We could have bought in, we could have, instead of Jorginho, it could have been a 21-year-old. It could have been, um, you know, it's anyone else, right? But I think it was really naive of Arteta to think that bringing on Jorginho was good. I mean, I'm sure in the back of his mind, he didn't think it was okay. But in and hindsight, it's a beautiful thing. But Jorginho should never have come on for Rice because the moment that happened, the control in midfield was gone. And we were very, very quickly, you know, crumbling before our very eyes. I've never been so infuriated in, in, in a half of football within that second half because everything that could have went wrong, went wrong. And it wasn't a case of Spurs being good, imposing themselves or being, you know, really ruthless and really quite um, deadly in front of goal. It was Arsenal fumbling over themselves. So Kai Havertz, Kai Havertz and Jorginho coming on, discuss. I disagree with 90% of what you just said. Um, Jorginho's class, yeah. absolute superb player. I'm one that I'm really glad that we've got in our squad. I think he's someone that I fully trust. He had a bad game today. Um, that happened and it completely hit his confidence. That doesn't happen to Jorginho very often. He's normally a player incredibly yeah. secure in possession. And with him coming on, I was perfectly fine with that at the time. I think it's one of those... Look, there, there's an elephant in the room no one wants to address right now. 
and that's Thomas Party. If Arsenal had sold Thomas Party in the summer, which I am a hundred percent sure they wanted to, and just couldn't get the money they they wanted, Arsenal would have brought in another midfielder. Arsenal bought Rice to play to replace Party, and they bought seemingly Kai Havertz to replace Granit Xhaka. Now we've said for a long time that we're not sure if Havertz is a midfielder. As much as I like him. I don't know what his best position is, and I think there's a lot of work still to be done there. So, and that's definitely an issue right now. It's like I fully back Havertz. I think he's going to be a good player for us. I think he's going to be someone that gets better. I expected Arteta to have more of a plan for him than what he seems to, and um, but by keeping Thomas Partey, we kept a player that we knew year after year gets injuries that keeps him out for around six to eight weeks and it costs us heavily during that period. So with without him, we have been fine because Declan Rice has stepped up so quickly. But the reality is you we wouldn't have signed another six. That was never going to happen. That would be Rice Party, Jorginho, Elneny and another six. That's just not possible to carry that many number sixes in the team. However, where I have repeatedly said I would like to another midfielder is in that left eight position. And I'm not talking about a 10 type player. I'm talking about a, like a Kovacic, the, the kind of player that City went out and got. So like a player that plays more advanced, but is also very capable of dropping back into a double pivot or really controlling the ball. Exactly what Granit Xhaka did for us last season. A lot of Xhaka's game was off the ball, but when he needed to be a traditional midfielder, he was able to drop in. That's why Ilkay Gundogan was so effective for Man City. It's because he was able to drop back and be a midfielder whenever he... Uh, and, but at the same time, he could play that kind of 8-10 hybrid role whenever he want, he needed to be a goal scorer for the team. Right now, both Vieira and Havertz are much more of the 8-10 hybrid than they are a kind of uh, like a left-hand controller. So by keeping party, we weren't able to add another midfielder. You have to remember, this is a player that we paid 50 million outright for. No installments, one lump fee. He's on over £200,000 a week. So he's on big, big wages at the club. And you can't, you can't stockpile number sixes because the reality is if... Uh, Declan Rice never gets injured. He's picked up an injury today, but Jorginho is a class act. At the end of last season, he was one of our few shining lights. He was a really good player for us. And I think we could have gone into that window better prepared. We could have gone in and tried to get Caicedo very early on. However, the risk there was always that we wouldn't have bought Declan Rice had we have bought Caicedo. And, uh, but no, I think it's very harsh on Jorginho to say that he's not a good squad player. He's already played a few times this season and done very well, shot night games. I think the today was just a really, really poor error from him and one that I, I don't understand why he didn't just give that ball quickly. But I've said that already about the team as a whole where players weren't were either taken too much out of it or given the ball too quickly. So, look, it was one of those where it changed the game that coming on, but you have to remember after those two players came on, we did go 2 1 up. So, and we started the second half very well. It was a really stupid error that came about 
from standing on the ball. And I really don't know what he was doing or why he tried to do that. But look, it's going to hurt him more than anyone. And he's going to bounce back from what I have full faith in Jorginho as a squad player. Yeah. Well, I just want to clear it up and, and, and emphasize that I don't think Jorginho is a bad squad player. In fact, the polar opposite. I think he's a great squad player, but he shouldn't need, he shouldn't be relied upon to come on early on in the second half to take Declan Rice's place. He's 31 years old. He doesn't have the capacity right now to play in a game of that magnitude for that long. I okay, in, especially in crucial moments. I think bring him on 75, 80 minutes. I think even bring him on 65 minutes. Fine, fine. No issues with that. I don't think that he needs to have that pressure on him right now. Because like I said, number one, he doesn't he doesn't have the minutes in his leg in order for him to prepare for this game. He hasn't had that. And that's why at the beginning I asked you, is how important is squad, squad rotation? Because I think a lot of this does come back to Arteta as well. Declan Rice doesn't need to get injured have, if we rotate the squad good enough. You know, hardly any of the players need to get injured as much as they do if rotation is done well enough. Because in order to play at that level with that intensity for every three games without having the um, recovery time, sufficient recovery time, you're asking for trouble. I don't think it, it, you need to be a genius in order to work that out. I'm sorry for being as harsh as I am, but it's frustrating to know that someone as important as Declan Rice, could be out for the foreseeable future with some really crucial games coming up. We're going to be playing a Man City who are going to be without Rodri. We need Declan Rice for that game. We need to, be, we need to try and churn out three points in either of those games when we play them, if we, if we are to try and challenge them for a league title. So um, as much as we all rate Jorginho, and again, this isn't on him. I don't want to... Um, I, don't, I, don't I don't want a misconception... Um, or paint a false picture that, you know, it's he's not good enough for Arsenal. He, he shouldn't have been put out in the first, in the second half, the way that he did. Too much I, pressure. And I get it, look, he's experienced, but Jorginho he's not sharp, won, he's not match ready. He's played minutes. I think this is a guy, look, th this was an error and he had a couple of mistakes today. He also had good moments in the game. I think he was, perfectly good enough to be thrown in there and again i think the key point here is he is our third choice six he if thomas party doesn't get his annual injury and we have a player that's more reliable than thomas party in that position then declan rice can play as an eight he can they can play together whatever it is and you're not bringing Jorginho on in that moment. But I also, I do think Jorginho is more than capable of coming on. I, I would trust Jorginho to play the 90 against the majority of teams. He played 90 against City last year. He's someone, for me, he's as good as most number sixes in the Premier League. And like, I think it's Adam, one of maybe those... as an advanced six. Maybe no, as an as advanced a, eight. He's maybe. never played but there in I, his I, life. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't trust him to... Okay, He's but he, he can't be playing as a defensive the the midfielder midfield. because what Declan Rice does is he sits in front of the back four and he, and he shores it and he cleans up. And Jorginho is a technically gifted player who moves possession and he's able to quickly find the next passing route. He's not someone who is defensively as capable as someone like Declan Rice is. And that's someone who we needed to bring in in the summer. 
Yeah, but Declan Rice is also the best in the world at probably him and Rodri at breaking up play in that position. So, as I say, you're not going to have an, a third player. So, Rice, Party, and another player who are all that good. And it just doesn't work. You can't play that many players. So, it's one of those injuries happen. And I think we're dwelling too much on Jorginho here because, look, it was a bad mistake. But for the most part, he didn't actually have that bad of a game. And um, he still won three of five brown jewels. He completed nearly all of his passes. He just made a horrendous mistake. And he, he did it again at one other point where he just dwelled too long on the ball. But this is a guy that has played there all his career and is very, very good at it. And I think we can like we can be honest about it. He made a very poor mistake that ultimately was the thing that cost us three points today. But at the same time, this is a very good player who is highly experienced and should be trusted to come on at that time of the game and be called upon when needed. It's He wasn't the only player on the pitch that wasn't good enough today. Yeah, okay. We'll move on from this. Um, I've, I'm actually quite glad that we've had that moment because I think <laughs> we've been waiting a long time to have a, a good, old, good old disagreement. So um, that will definitely be on as one of the shorts that we put, <laughs> put out there. <laughs> Look, the goal comes eventually, right? Um, we, 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 we win a penalty, and something that we're going to agree on is the penalty decision, is this so-called controversy that it wasn't or it shouldn't have been a penalty or where do we draw the lines? The last time I checked, when your hands are flailing about in the air in front of your um, goal and it hits it quite deliberately, you have a choice. I mean, I get it. He's falling down, but his arms don't need to be as high as they are. That's not yeah. a natural position. If you're falling, it's natural for your arms to support you as you're falling. That's instinctive of us as human beings. When we fall, our hands will gravitate towards the floor. He's got his arms up. He's trying to spread himself as wide as possible. It's a clear-cut handball. There's no um, disagreement about that, right? Yeah. I didn't understand why it took so long or what Gary Neville was saying. Look, my mate rang me after the game and he, he's a United fan, so obviously he knows very little about football. But he said, <laughs> he was like, oh, in the modern age and the way the rules are now, it was 100% the penalty. And I was like, look, 10, 15 years ago, that was a penalty. If anything, it was 100% a stonewall penalty then. And this whole like natural position, whether it's a natural position or not, Romero dives in to make a challenge. And it's him making that challenge that leads to his arm being in the air. So, yes, he puts his knee down. And Neville's right about that, the the position his body takes. But it's not a case of the ball bounces up or he's close to the ball with his foot. He goes in to block the ball, and that causes him to put his arm in the ball, which or in the air, which puts it in the way of the ball, going into the net. And there's another defender on the line, so it could be by it's probably not going to be a goal, but at the end of the day, it's inside the six yard box, it's going towards goal, and he palms it down as well. It's not even like it just kind of brushes off his hand, he palmed it down, like he batted it. And it's like am I missing something? I was I, when it went on so long, I was thinking, if this isn't given, I do not understand what's a penalty anymore. So Gary Neville, eat your heart out, mate. 
<laughs> you're so full of shit. There was something else that he said. Oh, you talked about the celebration, and actually, I do tend to agree with him on that. The the the, the way that um, I, I don't I don't want to look into celebrations too much. I think it's quite pathetic when you have your commentators and analysts and you know uh, pundits. Um, you know, looking into depth for when teams celebrate or over celebrate or under celebrate. Who cares? You know, if you've scored a goal, celebrate as hard as you want. But um, there is a little bit of me which understood that you know when you're when you just come two one up um, inside the first ten minutes of the second half, go again, score the third, and then maybe we have the license to um, you know let it all out. But we score that second and then it takes them about 26 seconds or so to equalize. And we just spoke about it. Jorginho fumbles the ball, Madison into Son, slots it home. That was probably the, the moment of the game really, which I guess decided what would happen throughout the, uh, the rest of the second half. Um, I don't, I don't know what other talking points there are really in this second half other than moments of which we could dissect and we could, you know, be uh, hypercritical of. Um, Jorginho didn't look very confident. It was heartwarming to see the Emirates, the fans and everyone singing his name the moment that, that, that ball, um, went into the back of our net. Showed, it showed me that, you know, we've come such a long way. We're a club now who, rather than booing our players off the pitch, we're trying to lift them back up. So that was really nice to see. Johnson pulls a hamstring, gives everyone a, a chance to, I guess, breathe and recompose themselves. Um, and the restart after he goes off, it was just pure chaos. It was manic. It was disjointed. It was Arsenal players running into each other. At one point, there were three players going for one ball. And it opened everything up for Spurs. So what brought about this sort of chaos? And why did we find it so difficult to try and maintain our composure throughout that second half? Why was it so bad? I'm not sure. But what's interesting is the first half when we had more control, we had 40% of possession. Second half when we mm. had very little control, we had 55% of the ball. So there, I think it, it was one of those weird halves where there were spells where both teams had quite a lot of the ball, but we never felt like the ball was truly under control whenever we had it. Um, I thought Bissouma had a really, really good game today, and we allowed him far too much space to carry it through the middle of the park. I didn't feel that Odegaard or... um kind of Vieira Havertz were getting on top of him enough and then when Rice went off we, we lost that other physical presence but uh, one thing that I think had an effect on us was Odegaard got booked for very very early on in the game so when he was pressing every time he went to go for it he was having to pull out of challenges and um, what minute did he actually get booked in because 15 minutes into the game, Odegaard got booked. And I just felt that whenever he was making those challenges, whenever he was chasing back, all the things that we usually see him do, he was having to double check and really think, should I go for this? And there were times that he kind of had to let his man go because he couldn't bring them down. And I think that had an effect, but I do think we were just... Uh, there was one point they were pinging the ball all over the park and 
they literally yeah. walked it straight mm. through us. It's the moment um, someone flicks it around the corner in the air to Basuma, then it's passed out wide to Kulisevsky. It ends up with a chance for them. But yeah. I, 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 I couldn't quite kind of put my finger on exactly what was going wrong because there were a couple of times Saliba um, played a really sloppy pass. I think it was to Johnson on the left. Went to play it to Saka, he yeah. dithered too long on the ball, just played a square pass with, that he didn't need to do. And there were times I felt that we were either holding on to it too long and going for the safe pass or the complete opposite where we were like going for a pass that wasn't on and it resulted in us losing the ball. And I think it was collective sloppiness. And when you look at, I thought Ben White was poor today, um, Saka struggled mm-hmm. in the second half. I think Saka may have been struggling with an injury. I've seen stuff where that he was signaling to come off with at least like 10, 15 minutes to go. And Arteta kept him on the pitch. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. Obviously, I wasn't in the ground and they're the things that you don't see on TV. But it's um, as, a, as a team, I just thought we were really poor today. Odegaard usually is the player that you get the ball to. You get him on it as much as possible. He cuts in. He pops it off to a teammate. Even he just couldn't seem to get any kind of space or spark going in the game. And then I thought Havertz was okay, but not spectacular. And just one of those games where things just weren't going well for us. Like Odegaard, 18 of 28 passes completed. That's just not a Martin Odegaard stat. Possession lost 19 times. Groundjules won three of nine. Again, these are all things that, like Groundjules for a player that plays in his position is a really unusual stat to look at, but that's one that Martin Odegaard usually excels at and one where he's usually coming out very, very high in amongst the, the kind of like top performers in that area. And He's our press leader. He's the one that nicks the ball a lot and gets stuff going in that final third. But today, he just wasn't able to do that. Um, then I thought Gabriel was okay, one of our better players. Saliba had his moments as well. But just collectively as a team, even Raya was kicking the ball out of play. And I hate to bring him up again, but I felt Enkedia was a massive problem for us. And I, yeah. I, I don't think... I can communicate how big of a problem he was. Like, he lost possession nine times. He only made six passes today. And he he attempted eight. He had 23 touches of the ball. He won four of eight ground duels. Won one header of one attempted header. And when you look at that, it's... I mean, they're not the stats of a centre-forward playing for Arsenal. And on top of that, as far as I can remember, he had one shot. So, yeah, one shot. And um, you're playing number nine for Arsenal. You can't have one shot in a game and have... Like, Haaland can have eight passes in a game because he still scores three goals. That's the difference that we're talking about. And I know Haaland is a freak, but if we're going to compare ourselves to an elite team, these are all the things that you have to look at. And... If Enkedi is not getting the shots in, he has to at least be doing those other things that kind of make up for it. And even like like Jesus coming off, I think had a factor. 
because whilst he wasn't having a phenomenal game, he was having a an effective game and he was causing problems for them. He was doing all those jazes, things that people don't like like dealing with. He's getting in the way of players. He's, he's just doing those scrappy things that are just really irritating and annoying for defenders to deal with. And again, like winning his duels and like competing. I think that's the big thing that Jesus was actually doing was competing to win the game. I didn't feel that Enkedia was doing that today. And ultimately, I do worry for him in big games because that was his worst performance for a long time. And I didn't think he was good last weekend either. Look, when you look at a player, it only takes a few seconds to know whether they've got it or they don't. Jesus, Jesus has got it, and Ketia doesn't. Declan Rice has got it. Maybe someone like, unfortunately, I'm sorry to say, Havertz hasn't. Saliba has got it. Someone like Rob Holding doesn't. You know instantly, right? The first touch, the first movement, the body language, the enthusiasm, the sharpness. It could be one bit of movement which shows you that that's a player. He knows what he's doing. I can trust him when he's got the ball. And you can't you can't trust that every time Nketiah gets the ball, he's going to do something with it which is going to, you know, raise your eyebrows. You know that nine times out of ten, someone like Jesus is going to do something magical or make it look really pretty and effective. And I was really surprised that we didn't see Jesus interchange as much as he usually does. We're so used to seeing him um, dip in and out of that centre-forward role. Didn't see that much um, in, in, in the game against Spurs, surprisingly, because that's been one of the most effective traits of you know last season. And any time that he plays, actually, he, he's, you know, it's, a, it's a common trait. Um, so I was surprised to see him taken off, um, as opposed to Nketio, who played the full game, you know, again, was very ineffective in possession, Again, I am going to stress that I think that in the first half in particular, um, his off-the-ball pressing and intensity was pretty good. But that went, you know, that 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 didn't mean anything in the second half when everyone was just dis disjointed. It, it looked like a collective kind of sigh of frustration. That's what it looked like. The body language wasn't great. It was clunky. It was not very intelligent. It was very... Um, yeah, it was our temperament, you know. It was there was no no not enough pressing, and too rash, just allowing Spurs to keep the one. That moment that you were talking about, where they were just playing the ball, playing us off the park, it it, it almost looked like we were playing ourselves, you know, the way that they mm. were moving the ball, and that was because we were static. We were not proactive enough to close them down we, we almost looked a bit shot of confidence because it was like we were we were second guessing ourselves if we commit here are they going to be able to get in the back door quite easily whereas before it was like like clockwork you know we didn't need to second guess ourselves we had enough confidence to know um that whatever happens we would be able to deal with a counter-attacking situation and and again that just goes back to having someone like Declan Rice in the middle because you know he's going to clean it up you know that he's got enough physicality in him and he's intelligent enough to make sure that he's built a brick wall around him. He doesn't need someone sitting inside him. He doesn't need... Thomas Partey does. Declan Rice doesn't. He can do it all by himself. Um, having said that, though, Arsenal had their fair, fair share of opportunities and a lot of them came from set pieces. And guess what, guys? Guess what Arsenal had? Again, 11 corners. So we had... 
well let's have a look at how many corners we've had over the last few games i know there was there was uh i think there was 12 there was 11 and we had 11 today um against everton there were quite a few let's have a look just just to double check i I know i've been harping on about these corners but we do need to have a conversation about them 11 corners against everton against united um we had 12 and again today we had was it 11 or was it 12 at one point when i was checking it was we had we had Right, so we had 11 corners today. All of those corners were taken really well, though. I did notice a difference in the the, the points that where they were being delivered. They were all kind of in the middle of the box. But the one single thing that was missing is having a powerful striker who had the instinctive abilities to be in the right place at the right time and having individuals who were killing themselves to get to the ball. So very late on, corner comes whipping in, it lands in the back post. No one's there. And the nearest person to that position is Eddie Nketiah. Um, I, I, think, I think it's a real shame that a club like Arsenal, who can afford as many corners as we get, not making enough of it. Um, I, I don't think I'm being too harsh. I think, I think across the board, if you, if, you, if you have a look at, and I haven't done this, I haven't actually looked at the stats, but I'm going to assume that not many teams get as many corners as we do. It just seems like, you know, we're just very wasteful with it. Um, at any point, though, in the second half, it, it, sorry, especially in the last 15 minutes of that game, did you feel like we were going to get a goal or did it feel more like we were going to hang on? I had mixed feelings. I, um, honestly, it was one of those where there were periods where I thought we could score I think especially from corners um, it, just on your point with corners um, Arsenal have had the most corners in the league I think we discussed this last week as well um, 58 surprise, corners surprise. next is uh, Liverpool and City and United all with 41 so we do get a lot of corners Wow. Um, so it's but we, we've scored from uh, corners in two of our last three goals so it's there's no excuse though we've got far too many big players we've got Saliba Gabriel you've got Declan Rice you've got who else have you got you've got um, Havertz you know that's that's too many players there to not be converting enough corners yeah look I, I, I would like to see more goals from corners absolutely I think it's one of those Teams are incredibly well organized from set pieces, and it's I when we've scored two of the last three weeks with from corners. I think there is evidence that they are working. So, so yeah. And today I was impressed with the deliver, deliveries. I would have liked to have seen more, but I do agree with you about Eddie and Kerry. He needs to be breaking his neck to get to that ball. It it is one of those. It's but again, I I don't know if this is instructional because as much as I do think Inkeria should have been trying to get in the end of that, if you look at where Rice won the ball against United, it's in exactly the same position. So if Rice hadn't have won the ball against United in that position, I'd be saying Inkeria should be getting closer to the goal. But is it a case that Inkeria has been instructed to stand there? to get the ball slightly deeper 
and the ball just hasn't come to him because I think we look at the game in the kind of purest, like instinctive way that like we've all played the game. But actually at this level and with the kind of meticulous planning that Arteta goes into, there's so many things, even with Kai Havertz, for example, he's saying that he's asking him to play two positions. We're not looking at things like that. And it could it be an example of this with Enkedia. We're looking at the simple side in the same way, obviously, Gary Neville. He, he's not the, like, Gary Neville doesn't think the most tactically. He, he thinks like an old school 90s footballer where it was a lot more instinct-driven and a lot more about that natural talent and so on. But if Inkeri is being told to stay at the back post, he could be being criticised for something when actually that is instructional and the hope is that someone wins it earlier or it gets to him there. So I have mixed feelings on that one because of the different positions that we've scored from with corners. So could be completely wrong and that it is a mistake by Enkeria, but something in me says that that could have been instructional because everyone's in very specific positions in the box. I, I do find it strange if he didn't react to that because that is Enkeria's biggest skill is reacting to those. So, so yeah, that's mm-hmm. just something that I've been playing devil's advocate with that chance today. Yeah, no, you do make a good point. Um, I'm a little bit old-fashioned when it comes to set pieces. I think there's no need to be over-analytical. Just, yeah, get it in the box, right? Everybody get get their positions and try and, you know, shuffle your way into the middle and someone get ahead to it. It doesn't need to be so difficult, you know? Um, I think, unfortunately, football's a more advanced game now, so... Yeah, yeah, it's a young man's game, as they like to say. Um, Two opportunities that Arsenal had um before the final whistle and credit credit to us for getting back into the game despite you know the um you know despite conceding the way that we did and not having Declan Rice and being as uh, static as we were in the in the in the, in the last sort of five ten minutes I think we gave a real go um and it was Havertz who had a shot on the edge of the box very wild high and wide and Saka had an opportunity which was uh, which forced Romero Romero which forced R- 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 is what's his name Vicario is that Vicario yeah I'm not sure uh, Vicario yeah to make a save um but unfortunately Arsenal don't manage to find a way to get the three points and so it forces us um to unfortunately move on to bad uh, um good bad and ugly i was gonna say bad 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 but it doesn't work like that right so we're gonna wrap up the show before we do adam you're gonna give us your good bad ugly moments of the game Okay, good. I'm going to go with... Um, Bukau Saka doing James Madison's celebration straight after scoring. Um, I thought it was just a, the kind of banter that you like to see in a derby. And if we won, that would have been iconic. Uh, give me your good moment. 
Yeah, that was uh, for me. That would have been a good, good moment because he does it twice. Um, my good moment is William Saliba. Um, there were many, many moments in the game where he just sweeps up really nicely. I think he did. He had a moment today where he kind of, I think it was Son. Um, the ball was coming to minutes. him. He picks it up and he turns. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, turn. And it was very kind of reminiscent of the 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 little shuffle, the little shimmy that he did last week. So that's my good moment. Give me your bad moment. Bad moment has to be Declan Rice appealing for a goal kick and not reacting to the situation where Madison pulls the ball back for song. What yours? Mm, interesting. My bad moment is Jorginho um, sliding into James Madison <laughs> really rashly, and it almost um, put Spurs in behind to score. Luckily, they didn't. Um, but yeah, it didn't like a good challenge either, and um, it wasn't it wasn't bad enough for Madison to get injured. But yeah, not 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 a great moment for us. So, but that's my bad moment. And finally, your ugly moment of the game. It has to be Jorginho dwelling. So, but I think we've discussed Jorginho enough. So, what's your ugly moment? You sure? You sure we can't talk about this for two more minutes? Nah, I think we we <laughs> we've outdone ourselves. We've got our clips right. Um, so, my ugly moment of the game. Um, which one do I pick? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it was all very ugly. I don't know if I can put the second half in a bubble and call that the ugly moment, or if I have to pick something specific, maybe I go for... Hmm, this is really strange, because I don't actually know. Difficult for me to tell. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'll just, I'll just say the second half. I think the second half as a whole was just really, really ugly, and it's going to need to change really quickly because the games don't get any easier we've got um brentford next in the league cup away as well to brentford and then we've got an away tie to bournemouth at the vitality followed by a champions league tie away to Lens, and then manchester city at home and then chelsea away which doesn't seem so bad but those uh four games in particular um, are going to be really tough now, especially now that we've uh, drawn to Spurs. But um, we're going to leave it now. Um, and so, unfortunately, we arrive at that time of the show where we must say goodbye. I do want to say a massive thank you, though, to everyone who's listened up until this point. Um, thank you very, very much. In particular, to those of you who have been subscribing to the YouTube channel. Thank you very, very much for that. The support has been overwhelming, and it's glad to see that you guys are enjoying the steady flow of content uh, coming through. The, the The podcast itself is also on YouTube, um, so you can watch that over there. If you are watching over there, then hello. Thank you for watching. Um, if you did enjoy the episode of the podcast specifically, though, make sure you give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Let us know what you thought of the show by reaching out to us on Twitter. You can find us over there at Arsenal Therapy. You can also find Adam over there at AdamKeys underscore, and you can find myself over there at Gunner since 96 As always, we'll be back in the next few days 
Uh, but if you can't wait until then, make sure, like I said, to head over to the Arsenal Therapy YouTube channel um, for the 15-minute show where we'll be giving you the latest updates and news um, and all the latest bits and bobs from Arsenal. That's Tuesday at 8.30 a.m. Um, make sure to also head over to the Arsenal Therapy website too for the blog posts where we'll be breaking down all of our thoughts, feelings and much, much more on this game um, and as well building up to the game against Brentford. So until then, take care, have yourselves a lovely week and we'll speak to you soon. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.